Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Oh my goodness, what a great chapter. And we're going to look at a number of verses in this chapter this morning, not all of them, but uh, it's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time in the history of the church. So stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we already see in just these few verses so much for us to, to consider, to learn, to apply to our life. These words are your words to us and for us. May we learn from them today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Today we begin a new study entitled Acts, 30 Years That Changed the World. Acts 30 years that changed the world, and in the weeks and the next few months to come, we're going to be going through the book of Acts. Now, this is a challenge. On Wednesday nights, I do a straight Bible study, and we read word for word through every chapter and every book in the Bible. We're going through the Old Testament right now. We're in 1 Samuel. Amazing time, by the way. Be here this Wednesday as we see David take the throne. But I can't do that on Sunday morning. We can't read every word in the book of Acts. But I do want to share with you enough of the book of Acts uh, so that you can place together, piece together in your mind what happened, where, when, and with who. This is 30 years, and so most people, maybe not you, but most people, if I quote a verse from the book of Acts, regardless of where it is, most people don't know whether that verse, famous verses, by the way, in the book of Acts, we don't know whether that verse was in year one, year 10, year 15, or year 30 of the book. And it's important that we know the timeline. And I want to help you to, to kind of place it together in your mind. What happened first, how the church grew and evolved and became the church that God called it to be, and all that happened with the apostles and with Paul, and we're going to be seeing that in the weeks to come. And I'm excited. It is an exciting time in the life of the church. We all love new things, a new marriage, a new baby, a new job, a, a new career, a new car, a new house, or even something as silly as a new phone. This week, Apple introduced the new iPhone. Did you see that? Instead of a giant notch, they brought it down and now it's a giant hole. <laughs> and as they introduced that new phone, that's the only change by the way. Other than that, it looks exactly like last year's iPhone and that phone looked exactly like the previous year's iPhone. And yet in light of all of that, I still want it. <laughs> I'm an Android guy. I don't even like iPhones, but watching that presentation, I wanted to, to order up because we love it because it's new. It's the new thing and we love what's new. 
Today in Acts chapter 1, we are seeing the birth of the church. Brand new, world-changing, powerful, hopeful, joyful, and eternal, the church. In the years to come after this passage, billions of lives, billions of lives will be transformed. Billions of souls will be redeemed. And in the world, it will never be the same. In the years to come after this passage, Christianity will grow from a tiny group of 120, which is what we have in chapter 1, gathered in one place to billions of believers in every nation and nationality on earth. But for that to happen, a few things have to change. To bring in this new church in this new moment, Jesus had to share a few things with the disciples and change a few things. They're not ready. Now, he's about to get them ready, especially in the days to come, but they are not ready. They don't know what, that, that they're not ready, and we're going to see they don't even know what they're ready for, <laughs> or they're not ready for, but Jesus is going to get them there. And so what did he teach them in chapter 1 of Acts to get them ready for what happens in the other 27 chapters? Well, the first thing that, that Jesus sought to do was to change their spirit. They needed to have a change in their spirit. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you've never had a relationship with Christ, you've never really pursued your faith, and you don't know where to begin, listen closely. Here's where you start. You need a change in spirit. Let me explain what that means. Look with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 4. This is right after what I just read. As Luke, by the way, Luke is the writer. Luke was not an apostle, was not one of the 12. He was a Greek. That is, he was not a Jew. He was a convert into Christianity and leader in the early church. A smart guy, we believe, based on some of his terminology, that he was probably what? A doctor, Dr. Luke, a physician in his day. We don't know that, but it is an educated guess that we make from the context of what he says and how he says certain things. But Dr. Luke is the writer. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, intended really as kind of one big book. He wrote it to another Greek guy named Theophilus, a man that we do not know, but he wrote that with the intention of it being spread throughout the world, and that's really important. We're going to see that as a central idea or a key idea in today's passage. Jesus sought to change their spirit. Before anything could happen, there had to be a change in their spirit. You can go to seminary or college and get degree after degree in theology, and it won't make any difference. You can read the Bible a thousand times, and it won't make any difference. You can debate on forums or on social media online until you're blue in the face about different doctrinal principles, and it won't make any difference if you've not had a change in spirit. So Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, that is Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, 
But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I assure you, not one of those disciples had a clue as to what he's talking about. It is difficult for me, after all of these years, to wrap my head around what he's talking about. That something fundamentally will change in their spirit because the presence of the Holy Spirit would become manifest in their life and stay with them from then on. Christ sought to change their spirit because when the Holy Spirit enters us, our identity changes. Something wonderful, something transforming happens to our spirit and our life. You know, most things in our world don't change, just to be honest. <laughs> I heard the story of a small boy that was playing with his father's spare change and accidentally, that word accidentally uh, applies to uh, boys often, accidentally somehow he ended up swallowing a quarter. It was lodged in his windpipe, couldn't get it out. He was huffing and wheezing and became panicked. And so he went to his mom and said, mom, I, I swallowed a quarter. Well, she couldn't get it out. She became panicked too, as any mom would, and she took him to the emergency room. The physician came in and examined him and realized it was too far down. He couldn't get it out either. So he told the mom, he said, you know, honestly, we're going to have to operate. And so he had another physician come in, and uh, that physician examined him and uh, concurred with his, his plan to go ahead and have surgery. Then a man came in, happened to be there, and he came in and he said, well, you know, I, I can get that out for you pretty quickly. And so he took the little boy, and he, it sounds odd, but he held him upside down. And he began to pat on his back where he, the, in, in some skillful manner exactly where the quarter was. And then he kept raising his hand on his back between his shoulder blades and finally to his neck, kept patting. And sure enough, that quarter popped out and went onto the ground. Everybody was stunned and amazed. Saved the kid's surgery by doing that. And so one of the physicians asked him, are you a doctor? And the man no, said, no, I work for the IRS. <laughs> See, some things never change. He said, I'm a tax collector. Well, that makes you think though, one of the disciples, Matthew, one of our gospel writers, was a tax collector. And even, even then, the, the powerful spirit of God transformed his life. The resurrection changed him fundamentally. And Matthew is in this group that's about to receive the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Christ sought to change their mind. He, he sought to change their spirit, but also to change their mind because their minds needed to be changed and they weren't alone. There were people there that really needed to have their mind changed. And there may be people here today that God is seeking to change your mind. In John chapter seven, verse one, if you can hold your place here in Acts and go to John chapter seven, a fascinating event takes place. This is what we call the year of opposition in the life of, in the ministry of Christ. And in verse 1, it says, John chapter 7, verse 1 says this. After this, 
Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers, Jesus' brothers, did you know that Jesus had brothers? We would say half-brothers. James, we know, is one by name. Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. Now, Jesus is in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. Judea is down in the southern part of Israel, and that's where Jerusalem is. And when you celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, you go to the temple in Jerusalem. So his brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure, that's their thinking that his goal is, <laughs> to be a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Listen to this verse. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that something? They saw the miracles. In fact, they're saying, hey, don't hide these miracles. This is a good show. You need to take this production down to Jerusalem. Let everybody see the show. They're going to be impressed. But their motives are wrong. Their thinking is wrong because their hearts are wrong. They don't believe in him. They've seen the miracles, but they don't believe in the person of Jesus. They don't believe he's the son of God, the Messiah. They don't believe that he is God incarnate because he's just their brother. They don't believe. That had to have been a challenging time for Jesus. And in verse one, I don't know if you notice, it says, after this. The after this that it's talking about is in the previous chapter where Jesus is teaching a large group of people. You know, thousands have been coming to see him preach. Most of them, it explains, left him because the teaching became too hard for them. They weren't willing to do all that he was calling them to do to give their life to God to repent of their sins. And so they fell away by the thousands. So bad was it that he turned to his disciples, the 12, and said to them in the previous chapter, <clears throat> he said, are you now going to desert me as well? And that's a tough time. Now he's getting advice from his own brothers who Jesus knows do not believe in him either. His own brothers. But... After the resurrection, their minds are changed in our passage for today. So go back to Acts chapter 1, knowing that, that passage, what happened, and that happened only months prior, by the way. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 <clears throat> says this, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and if you're not careful, you'll miss this part, and with his brothers. They went from skeptics to being believers. Something changed their mind. Do you know what it was? It was the resurrection. When your brother comes back from the dead, you're probably going to listen to him. <clears throat> Just six months before, they didn't believe. But now... These unbelieving brothers are faithful followers. They're there among the first church, the first group, the first 120. 
The resurrection changed their mind and it changed their lives. Number three, Jesus sought to change their purpose. He sought to change their purpose. Their spirit and their mind follows that their purpose in life is going to change. And they don't get this, by the way. They don't know what their purpose is still. They don't have a clue. About to learn. Look with me in verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. <clears throat> so when they met together, they asked them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? My goodness, I don't know why Jesus didn't slap them right there. I would have. Jesus has been teaching about this new kingdom for the last three years. The kingdom of God. On and on and on he would go about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is universal. It is global, not just local. It's for everyone, not just for Jews. And he would teach on the kingdom of God and they were there and all of those sermons, he, they listened to all those parables where he would say the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like that. Sometimes he would use the word the kingdom of heaven and they weren't receiving any of it. And then he dies on the cross and they thought, well, there goes that Messiah. Their agenda was not going to happen because they had another agenda for Jesus. It was more military and political and it didn't pan out. But then he was resurrected from the grave. He has power over life and death. In fact, we know that upon the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, he reclaimed all of his authority and power. He is now omnipotent. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants. And I guarantee the disciples probably thought what you and I would think upon seeing the resurrected Savior. If I were the resurrected Savior, you know what I would do? <laughs> I would go straight to Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin's meeting, and I would just waltz in there, hold out my scars and my hands and go, boom, <laughs> you lose. <laughs> I'd rub it in their faces. With all, uh, that would be the last thing they would see with, uh, with all power. I would zap them the next sentence. But they could, I, I bet the disciples couldn't wait to get to the Sanhedrin to show them, yeah, we were right, you were wrong. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and he and the disciples would be standing in Rome in the emperor's palace. Show them his his scars and take power in Rome and over every country. He could do it simultaneously. Could do it today, by the way. <clears throat> he could end our democracy or our republic. He could end our Congress and our Senate and our president and our Supreme Court in the blink of an eye. He could end any leadership, dictatorship, or kingship on the planet in the blink of an eye. But he didn't do that. He had another plan and still has that plan to this day. The disciples didn't get that. And so <clears throat> he says, where was I? <laughs> um, are the, so they asked this question, are you going to restore the kingdom of heaven? No. The, the, the kingdom of God? No. What are they asking? Are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And that's why I think he should have slapped him. After all, you know he's thinking that. How many times do I have to tell you guys? Think bigger than that. 
Your purpose is more than the just this place. It's in every nation across the globe because God loves the whole world for God so loved the world, not just Israel. But they're still thinking along those lines. And so Jesus has to deal with the fact that they don't understand fully what their purpose is. Next, Christ sought to change their message. He sought to change their message because their purpose needed to change and their message needed to change. So look with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. The next verse says this. He said to them, <clears throat> this is his response, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent uh, set by his own authority. Now let me stop right there. To be clear, what they now expected Jesus to do is to get rid of the Romans. That when they say establish, restore the kingdom of Israel, it once didn't have the Romans. They were, in, they were independent. Now the Romans are there and they're taxing them and they have taken over Israel and they want them out of there. And so they're asking Jesus, when does the military campaign start? When does the political turnover start? You are the guy to, to be our change agent, to get us back to the glory days of where we were. And Jesus goes, no, that's not it. Not even for you to know. And then he says this in verse eight. But you, you, here's your part. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, was Jesus speaking figuratively there or literally? Literally. Now, again, they've never thought in these terms before. Their minds were being blown right here. Because they're thinking the furthest they're probably going to go is their hometown. And when he says, I want you to wait right here because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, they didn't have any plans to go to Rome or Egypt or Spain or anywhere. They probably were tempted just to go home, back up to Galilee. That's why he says, stay here. It's not that they had this great message and they were eager, let's get on the first boat, let's go to Rome, let's go throughout the world. And no, they, weren't even, they, they didn't conceive of that, they didn't care about that. And so Jesus here is telling them something again that is stunning to them. First, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. By the way, when you and I receive the Holy Spirit, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we surrender to him, power from the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We are to be, we, we have a greater power within us than any, anyone in the world, any government, any wealthy person, any, any political party. We have a power they don't know or understand. And it is the Spirit of God. He says that point blank. That's the promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit. That's not even what they're asked. There was nothing to do with what they asked. He said, no, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to receive power. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, guys, when he says witness, you saw something. You're seeing me right now. 
You saw me before the resurrection. You saw me die on the cross. You saw me after the resurrection. And you are going to, but they're about to see him ascend into heaven. He says, you see this, your witnesses, you need to get out there and tell what you've seen. Everywhere to the ends of the earth. So he changed their message. He didn't tell them left to their self, they probably would have done this. Go out there and tell how Israel is the best place on earth, that they're the most important uh, country on earth, that they're God's chosen peaceful, and Israel this and Israel that. He says, no, that's not the message. The message is the good news. You can have forgiveness of your sins. You can have freedom from the bondage that is caused by sin. You can have a rightful relationship with your creator. And you can have entrance into heaven forever. That's what I want you to, to share with them because you're my witnesses. And then lastly, not only did Jesus seek to change their spirit and their mind and their purpose and their message, but Jesus also sought to send them on mission. In Acts chapter 1 verse 10, if you look with me there again, <laughs> I love this passage. They were looking intently. Now, let me stop right there. That, um, that's an understatement. Now, if you see your Savior, who's resurrected, by the way, ascend into heaven, they're, they're not looking at the other birds floating around. They're not looking at the, the goats or whatever, the sheep that's in the pastures around them. They're not looking at the clouds in the sky. They're looking at Jesus. Their God, their King, their Savior is now flying yeah, so yeah, they're looking intently. <laughs> they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood behind, uh, beside them. Of course, that's two angels. <clears throat> they said, uh, uh, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, they probably thought, that's a dumb question. Did, did you not see? Jesus. And so at what point when you see your resurrected Savior ascend into heaven, at what point do you stop looking? <laughs> I mean, it's a fair question, you know, because they don't know. Jesus didn't say, I'll be back in 10 minutes. Now, they don't know this, but they're never going to see him again in this lifetime. The only experience is going to be through John, through visions, and through the Apostle Paul uh, on the road that fateful day when he still saw. But the disciples that are here are not going to visually see him again. This is the last moment they'll see him in this world until they get to heaven. They don't know this. They're waiting. Maybe he's going to fly around and come back. They don't know. They don't know, so they're staring. So there needs to be an intervention. So God sends two angels and, and the angel says, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, here's what they're saying. First of all, he says, he, they're saying he's not here. He's not coming back. He's in heaven. He's not here. He's in heaven. He's gone. So they can go home because Jesus isn't there anymore. They can stop hurting their neck by staring in the sky so long because Jesus is not there anymore. In other words, it's time to move forward. It's time to move on. God has something for you to do, not just stand out here on this hillside looking to see when or how he's going to come back. 
The second thing he says, he says, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Makes that promise to you and I and to all hu human beings for all time. There will be a day where Jesus will return. He went up through the clouds and he's going to come down through the clouds with a trumpet blast. And that's going to be a good day, yes? A day of rejoicing. So that's promises there. So they just stood there staring into the clouds. Remember, only minutes before, the disciples were asking about restoring Israel. So we receive the response of Jesus in verse 7. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. During his reign, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in serious trouble. Wars had been very costly. And in trying to build the nation, he was seriously short of finances. They were broke. He couldn't disappoint his people and had to capitulate to the, uh, having to capitulate to the enemy was unthinkable. He, he didn't want to surrender. Without financial resources, what do you do? So after careful reflection, he decided to ask the women of Prussia to bring their jewelry of gold and silver to be melted down for their country. For each ornament received, he determined to exchange a decoration of bronze or iron as a symbol of his gratitude. Each decoration would be inscribed with this following statement. I gave gold for iron, 1813. The response was overwhelming. Even more important, these women prized their gifts uh, 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 to the king, or they prized their gifts, excuse me, from the king of iron more highly than their former jewelry. The reason, of course, is clear. They love their king, and they love their country, and they were happy to sacrifice for it. The decorations were proof that they loved their king and were willing to commit that sacrifice or dedicate that sacrifice. So for many, it became unfashionable to wear jewelry. And so it was established the Order of the Iron Cross. Members wore no ornaments except a cross of iron for everyone to see. When Christians come to their king, we too exchange the former things of this world or cross. It is our honor. It is our badge of glory. It changes our mind, our spirit, our purpose, our message, and our mission in life. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this chapter. What a beautiful chapter. We are reminded of the glory of that moment when the church was born. The disciples are just now beginning their life as apostles. And they have so much to learn, as do we. For some here this morning, they have not yet received the, the Holy Spirit in their life. And I pray today would be the day of their salvation. That they would acknowledge their Savior. That they need a Savior because of their sin that they would confess that sin to you, ask for forgiveness. And your word tells us 
It's a promise that if we will surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and believe in faith in the resurrection, like the disciples, we can be saved. And your spirit will come upon us in power. So while this world struggles in darkness and weakness, that we can have your power in our lives. Oh, thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would broaden our minds to understand that our calling as your ambassadors, your messengers with the gospel of Jesus is global. Not just Azel, not just Texas, not just the United States, but in every corner of the world. As you have already brought billions to faith in Christ, we pray that every single man, woman, and child that you desire to be saved will hear the gospel, experience your forgiveness, believe in their heart, and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom, perseverance, and strength as your will is done. Can I challenge you this morning? Where are you in that? Have you received the Holy Spirit? If you have, are you just still staring into the sky? As you're praying, listen to me. I love to come into worship. I love worshiping. And sometimes because even though it's for the glory of God and he is the focus, but we are blessed as a result of that. Sometimes I don't want to leave. I just like knowing this moment of worship and quiet in my life. But God calls us to step out from where we are. We're not created just to sit there or stand there. God called us and redeemed us to be his witnesses here in Azel and in Texas and to the ends of the earth. Are you willing to do that? Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. We had a wonderful family join in the first service. You're welcome here. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or you want to give your life to Christ or you've done that, but you've never been baptized. I challenge you to come down and say, Pastor, it's time. I, I want to be baptized. I want to tell the world that I'm a believer in Christ. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. Would everyone stand? As you stand and as you continue to pray right now, God is giving you a chance, an opportunity. You come.